0: Good morning, good morning to you. If uh, you are a church member, thank you so much for being here today. And if you are a guest, we're glad that you're here with us. We invite you to stick six with us, stick six weeks to hear a little bit about what we are as a church. Get to meet a little bit of us as a church family. And see if this is where God would have you be to serve Him and to glorify Him. And for those of you that are tuning in via, via live stream, welcome to you as well. We're glad that you're tuning in with us. All right, so you just saw the video. We're doing this series through the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is going to take us through the entirety of 2022. We'll stop here and there uh, to do a couple little one off series, but we're going to take the whole year to go through the Gospel of John, which is one of the reasons why we provided for you the Scripture Journal. If you haven't picked that up, make sure to do that on the way out in the Welcome Center. It's uh, On one side, it's got the Scripture, on the other side, it's got notes. And I hope that you'll bring that here, take notes. I hope during the week as you read the Gospel of John that you take notes and then bring it to your small group as you dialogue together about the Gospel of John so that you can kind of look back at the end of the year in 2022, at the very end of it, and say, man, this is how God encouraged me, strengthened me, molded me, and shaped me throughout this year. And so I'm excited about that. And um, if you didn't catch it from the video, our series Believe and Live is from uh, a passage in the Gospel of John. John chapter 20 tells us, I put all of this in here. I wrote all of this so that you would believe and have life in Jesus Christ. So each week as we come to the passage, as you read it throughout the week, I would invite you, I'd encourage you to look at it and say, God, what is it you want me to believe about Jesus from this passage? And how does that give me life? We're going to see that in this passage today. So John chapter 1 will be in verse 19, if you haven't made your way there. But before we dive into the text, um, many of you already know this, but we have hit a new era of photography. Okay, there's a whole new era, and it's the selfie generation, okay? Where we love to, if you don't know what it is, selfie, you love to take pictures of yourself, right, with your phone or camera. Selfie. And it's gotten so popular, not just here in America, but around the world, that actually in London, they did an art gallery of just selfie photos, and people came in and just looked at other people's selfie photos, right? Like it's become that big of a deal and that popular. It's funny, one journalist even said that this selfie craze is a look at me mania. Where people are looking at themselves and let's be honest, even when you're not taking a selfie photo, you see a photo and you're, you're there with a bunch of other people, where are you looking first? Got to find me, right? Where am I at in this photo? And Oh, there I am, right? That's kind of the, the culture in which we live in. And the reason why I tell you that today is because we're going to see that there's a group of people that come to, to John and what they're looking for is a selfie. They're looking for John to take a snapshot of who he is so that they know, okay, ah, that's who you are. And what John is going to do is he's going to say, no, 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 It's not about me. There's something much, much greater that you need to see. And he turns their gaze and tells them to look and behold something much much greater than himself. And this is what we see starting in verse 19 of John 1, and this is the testimony of John. Now, before we keep reading, just to clarify, this is important. The testimony of John here. This is not John, the author of the Gospel of John. Okay, uh, the John here is what we've kind of given him the title of John the Baptizer. Uh, it was uh, if you. He's in each one of the Gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you read about him, we don't have time to unpack everything about John today, but if you read about him, he was an odd guy, I mean, to say the least. I mean, he's eating locusts, and he's wearing weird clothes, and he's out in the wilderness. I mean, he's an odd guy, but praise the Lord that God uses odd people, right? Amen? And he's going to use John um, to point to the greatness of Jesus, so... That's the John that we're talking about here. Not the disciple John, but John the baptizer. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, Who are you? Who are you? They want the selfie. Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Well, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to them, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. So what do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even one who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now the next day they saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. ask that you would not only inform us for the sake of knowledge, but Lord, that you would transform us for the sake of your glory. Help us today to behold the Lamb of God, so that we, like John the Baptist, may have a humble boldness, and that we might become voices for the gospel, that we would proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me invite you to, to pray for yourself this morning. Pray and ask for God to, to give you clarity towards his word and that he would help you to believe and live. Pray that now. And then take a moment just to pray for me. And as I open up this passage about the the goodness and the glory and the greatness of God, that I would just be able to proclaim that in a way that glorifies Him and that strengthens us. Pray for me now. Lord, help us to find abundant life as we believe in these truths So you got a group of people, a group of people who are coming to John the Baptist saying, what is your identity? Who are you? What is your self-image? Where do you get your self-worth from? What's your self-understanding? They're asking him in this moment. And that has a very contemporary ring to it, right? There's so many people that are asking that question, who am I? Why was I created? Why am I this way? Why do I have this personality? What's my purpose? Why am I here? Who am I? They're coming and asking John this question, and I believe that as we unpack and see how John answers this question, it helps us to answer that question. So I want us to ask, who are we? Who are we? They come to John and they say, who are you? Look at how he answers it. They say, are you you the Christ? And he says, no, I'm I'm not the Christ. Were you Elijah? No, I'm not him either. Were you the prophet? No, I'm not. There's a lot of clarity in John's mind of who he is, but it's not built on pride. And what's fascinating is John has lived a life for God in such a way that people are asking the question, "Who are you?" Like you're you're preaching, you're bringing crowds of people. I mean, you got multitudes of people not coming to a city, not coming to a synagogue, but out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it'd be like if we heard of a preacher in State Road, North Carolina, which is actually a place. That are traveling two hours, three hours to come in and listen to him preach out in the middle of nowhere. That is who John is. And they look at his life and they're like, you're proclaiming these good news of, of, of this Messiah. You're, you're preaching that we should repent and turn from our sins. And it's drawing a cl- crowd like, who are you? And the reality is, is if we faithfully follow Jesus, if we're Christians and we believe this truth and, and, and it spawns on us life, people are going to look at us and say, man, who? Are you? Like, why in the world do you live the way you live? Why do you talk the way that you talk? Why do you care for people the way that you care for people? Why are you bold in some of the areas that everybody else draws back from? Why in the world do you do that? And it's because, hopefully, just like John, you see that there's something greater than you. You see, every time they're asking him, trying to figure out who he is... John continues to be clear, I'm not this, I'm not this, there's something better. So when they come to him and they say, "Are, are you the Christ? I mean, John's extremely clear in here. I can't save anybody. I'm not the savior of people, I can't save myself. He's even saying in here, he's like, I baptize but it's just with water, it's an exterior thing of saying what God has already done in the heart. So in this moment, he's saying, there's somebody greater that's coming who's not going to just put water on the outside of your body. It's going to change your heart and your life. He's going to give you life. And this is what he's saying in this moment. I can't save myself. I'm not the Messiah. There's not enough good works. I'm not a good enough person that preaches enough messages that people now look at me and say, well, you must be saved. He says, no, no, I'm not the Christ. I look to the one who is. Well, then they're like, okay, well, if you're not the Christ, you're not the Messiah, then are you Elijah? Maybe that's who you are, which, if you don't know your Bible, seems really weird. Like, Elijah, why in the world are they mentioning Elijah here? Well, back in the Old Testament, and if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's the the left half of your Bible. This man, Elijah, walked, and he preached this good news of there's a God, and a God that wants to have a relationship with you. But you need to love him above everything else. Turn away from your idols, turn away from your selfishness, turn away from your self-identity and look to him and find yourself. He preached this message. He did amazing things. And there was a prophecy later given, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, where it says that before the Messiah comes, that there would be one that would come like Elijah. He would prepare the way for the Messiah. And so they're looking here, and they're like, okay, John, if you're not the Messiah, if you're not the one that's going to fix this broken world and heal our our hearts, then are you the guy that's making the way prepared for the coming Messiah? And I think John (laughs) here is playing with them a little bit. He's kind of joking with them because he's like, no, I'm not Elijah. I'm not this incarnate Elijah that's here. That's not me. But we see in verse 23 that he quotes Isaiah, and he says, but I come in the spirit of Elijah. I'm the one that's, that's speaking the truth and preparing the way. I'm the voice making straight the way of the Lord. And so, no, I'm not physically the reincarnate Elijah. <laughs> I'm just the voice. And they're not satisfied with that. So they're like, okay, well then are you the prophet? And it's specific that they use the prophet. Because if you look back in Deuteronomy chapter 18, you can read that for extra credit. Deuteronomy 18, there's a promise that Moses gives that somebody's going to come. And he's going to speak the very words of God to you. And he will be the prophet. As people are looking, are you the prophet? Are you the one speaking the very words of the Lord to us? And he's like, no. (laughs) There is one that's going to speak the words of the Lord because he is the Lord. (laughs) But I'm not him. I'm not him. Now what's fascinating about this is there's great, great humility in John the Baptist right here. There's great humility to say, I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. But it's not because he has low self-esteem. It's not because he's like, woe is me, and has the Eeyore mentality. That's not who John is. There's a boldness and a confidence with John. But there's a deep humility that goes with it. You see, there's a temptation that he could have spoken in arrogance, but he chooses humility. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus is asked the question, who is John the Baptist? They're still trying to figure out who this guy is. And so they come to Jesus. Okay, who is John the Baptist? And this is what Jesus says. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. What? I mean, that's a bold statement coming from Jesus. And don't miss it. I said you, no one born among women. That's everybody. Everybody but Adam and Eve. He said he's the greatest of everyone. And so this picture of what we see here, when they come asking him, who's your identity and who are you? John the Baptist could have responded and be like, well, I'm glad you asked because I'm a big deal. I'm a real big deal. And so let me just tell you a little bit about who I am. And he could have just spoken about who he is and built up his personality. I'm the one that draws crowds. I'm the one that, that even in spite of my oddness, people still listen to me preach. Like all those things, he could have just built himself up, but that's not what he does. He doesn't give them the selfie. He doesn't give them the look at me mentality. He doesn't give them the me mania. He turns their eyes to something greater. Something greater. You see, what's amazing about John, that we have to understand is that John does not define himself by how much money he has, or how great of a following he has, or by the title that he's been given. John, in this passage, defines himself, has his identity firmly founded in his relationship with Jesus, in his relationship with his creator. They ask him, who are you? And his response is, I'm just the voice. I'm not the person. I'm not the face. I am just A voice, and yet that voice has boldness matched with humility. I ask you, how do you define yourself? How do you define yourself? Where do you get your identity from? This is a very important question. This is a very pertinent question for our culture in this time, because there is so much of an identity crisis. We need to know, how do you define yourself? You see, John's self-image, self-understanding, his self-regard, and self-worth was not all held together whether he was a good or bad person. It wasn't held together whether he felt good or bad about himself. it was founded in God. And if you're asking the question, who am I, and you leave out God, when you're calculating and thinking through that, there's only two places for you to go. There's only two places. What other people think about you or what you think about yourself. And that's how you define yourself. John chooses neither. But if you take God out of the equation, then you look and you're saying, what do other people think about me? And we look at our family or we look at our peer group or we look at the culture and we're like, what do they think about me? And we build our life on that. But if you build your life on that, you will burn you're alive to the ground it's like trying to hit a moving target that's never still you're like well my family thinks this about me i'm going to try to be that oh no well my friends think this Oh, the culture thinks this and who am i i don't know and we're so confused because we're looking at everything else and allowing others to define who we are and it's a miserable existence to live like that it's not where john looks And if you live that way, most often it leads you to just get exhausted and tired and just say, I'm done with that. I don't even care what other people think. All I care about is what I think about myself. I'm going to define me. And that's a miserable place to be too. Because then you're self-absorbed. You're selfish. All your life is about you. Does my boss not know who I am? I'm a big deal. You should know how important I am. And so we live in such a way that we're angry at our jobs all the time because they should know how important I am. Because we've decided this is who I am. This is how great I am. Or it impacts our marriage. And we think, man, my wife should be thankful for me. My spouse should be thankful for me because I'm a big deal. I know how good I am. I know how awesome I am. I have to find myself. My kids should love me and look up to me because I am a big deal miserable place to be. Nobody wants to be here around somebody like that. And yet, when you take God out of the equation, those are your two destinations. What do other people say that I am, or what do I say that I am? Can you imagine if John did that? If John the Baptist said, well, I'm just going to be who other people want me to be, and they come and they're like, are you the Christ? I don't know, maybe I am the Christ. Am I the Christ? Okay, well, they think I'm the Christ, so I'm the Christ. Well, no, 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 some people think you're Elijah. Am I Elijah? Maybe I'm Elijah. I guess I'm Elijah. I, know, I don't know. Well, I know I'm definitely the prophet because people are saying I'm the prophet. So I'm a prophet. I'm the prophet. Like there have been so much confusion and, and, and unclarity in his life, but he doesn't look there. He doesn't look to what other people are saying about him. He clearly knows who he is because of what Christ says about him. He knows that Christ is the one who formed him in the womb. Christ is the one that has given him a purpose for his life. And so he's just living out that purpose. He's just being the voice of Pointing to the face of Jesus Christ. You see, this is what God is calling us to do. Don't look at either. Look at him. Don't look at others. Don't look at yourself. Look to Jesus. You see, that's the reason why John has such a developed character. Why he has humility and boldness together. Where he has high self-esteem and yet he loves others with humility it doesn't depend on him. It's his relationship with Christ. That's where we find our strong identity. We have to behold the Lamb of God. Some of the deepest questions that we need to ask are not who are we? But who is he? That's the question that we have to ask. That's where John pushes them to look. Stop looking to me. Stop asking who am I? Start looking to Christ and who is he so let's do that church who is he and John's gonna tell us in verse 29 he says the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said behold and behold is not a casual word we don't use behold a lot today they didn't use it a ton back then but that word behold is an important word it means listen up Pay attention, I got an announcement. This is something that's very, very, very important and you need to hear it. He says, behold, listen, look at the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, John thought it was so important to highlight that Jesus was the Lamb of God. He says it multiple times in the Gospel of John. If you look down just a few more verses, you'll see him say it again. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Now to me... It's a little bit of a head scratcher at first, if you're not familiar with the Bible, because if I were Jesus in this moment, and John is screaming out, behold the lamb, I've got to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's time out for a second. Like, can we use a different animal? Like, when you think of a lamb, like that's gentle, lowly, wooly, quadruped, right? Like, that's what you get with a lamb. Like, why didn't Jesus stop John and be like, whoa, John, hold up. Why don't you call me the lion? Why don't you call me the Brahma bull? Why don't you call me the eye the tiger? Like, why don't you call me that? Like, that's a much better, you know, bold name for me. But Jesus doesn't correct him here. Why, out of all the things that John could have said, he says, behold the Lamb of God. And the reason why is because this thread of the Lamb of God goes through the entire Bible. It's a shadow and a picture of the redemption that would come through Jesus. And you go all the way back to Genesis 22. And I would encourage you to maybe write down each one of these different passages and go read them on your own during the week and see this, this image that we need to see as we behold the Lamb of God. But in Genesis 22, some of you are familiar with that story. God has promised this man, Abraham, that you will have more descendants than there are stars in the sky. And this old man looks, and he has one son, and he's like, it's all hinged on him? Really? And God says, yes, and I want you to sacrifice that son for me. What? I and mean, that's a weird request, and if you go back and read it, the faith of Abraham is amazing. Because in Genesis 22, he, he goes and he sells his servant, hey, We're going to go up this hill and we're going to worship God, my son and I. And then we, we plural, are going to come back. So he knew if I went up on this hill and I laid my son down on the altar, God would either raise him from the dead, Hebrews tells us, or he'd provide something else for us. And so he goes with faith to make the sacrifice. His son asks him while they're going up the mountain, like, where's the lamb, dad? Like, we're supposed to sacrifice a lamb, where is it? And he looks at his son he's like, God will provide the lamb. God will provide the lamb. They get to the top and they're about to make the sacrifice, and God provides an animal. But it's not a lamb. If you read it, it's a ram. It's because there is a lamb who's coming that would be our substitute. It was Christ. There in Genesis 22, there's a shadow of the substance of Christ. Then you fast forward a couple centuries, you get to the book of Exodus. God's people are enslaved there now. And in Exodus 12, God's been working all these different miracles. Some call them plagues. But God is showing that he is more powerful and mighty than all these idols in this culture. He's like, I've got power. I've got might. I've got strength. So turn to me. Look to me. And the last plague that he brings is that because of their rebellion, both the Egyptians and the Israelite people, because of their rebellion, the firstborn of every family, Unless, unless what? A lamb that is pure and spotless is sacrificed, and that blood is painted on the doorposts. And if so, the angel of death, when he comes, instead of us bearing the wrath and the judgment of God for our sins, it passes over us. Hence the name Passover. Then you fast forward just a, another little bit. You get the Book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter four, Leviticus sixteen. Read the whole book of Leviticus. It's full of the, the lamb imagery. How a lamb was sacrificed on the day of atonement. Okay? This is important. This is really important. The day of atonement. And atonement means to cover sin. That lamb in the book of Leviticus could not take away the sins of the world. Could not take away the people's sins. It was a covering of the sins on the day of atonement. And Then you look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, it talks about that the Messiah is going to come. And the Messiah is going to be like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. And just like a sheep that's silent before its shears, he will not open his mouth to defend himself. You see, what John the Baptist is doing here when he says, behold the Lamb of God, is he is leaning on All of these images in the Old Testament of the Lamb. The reason why Jesus doesn't stop him and say, use a different image of me, is because he's declaring the mission of which Christ came for. He's like, that's a good description of me. You're right. I am the Lamb. You see, Jesus is the substance of the echo of the past. Just like the blood of the Lamb protected the people from the wrath of God there in the book of Exodus. God comes onto earth and he dies on the cross for our sin to protect us. He takes on the full wrath of God in our place. Just like for Isaac where he's the substitute there, he's the substitute for us on the cross. Just like a lamb that was laid on an altar to be slaughtered, Christ was laid on the cross to die for our sins. Not to atone for them, but this passage says to take away the sins of the world. He didn't just atone, he took them away. This is a this is amazing, this is important. This word, take away, verse 29, he removes it as far as the east is from the west. And we don't fully understand the depths and the beauty of this, but we need to. We must. And I don't know how to paint a deeper picture than what's being said here, but if you don't understand the depths of sin and what it's done to our world and how it's broken things, then let me try to take it to a, to a more modern level of things. Let me say this. It would be like us watching the football game. Maybe tomorrow night at 8 o'clock, you're watching, you're pulling for UGA. I don't know who you're pulling for, but you're watching the game, right? And right in the middle, got amen there, there we go, yeah. Right in the middle of that, they, they stop and they're like, news, breaking news, listen up. Cancer and COVID have been cured, all of it. We, no matter what cancer you have, it's done. No matter what form of COVID you have, it's done. It's gone. We found a cure and it's simple. I mean, we'd all celebrate. We would all be excited. We're like, yes, we needed this cure because our bodies were dying. And here we realize that our souls are dying and decaying. And it's not just we're going to give a cure for your body. We're going to give a cure for your soul for all of eternity. That's what he's saying. You have to hear that when he says this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is curing the depths of our soul and the wickedness of our heart. This is what he's promising. This is good news. This is the good news of the gospel. So we have to see this. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. An underline circle highlight the world because that's important. You see, some people will argue and say, Christianity is so narrow-minded. It's so exclusive. I can't believe in it because it's so exclusive. It's exclusive that Jesus is the only way to salvation. But it is inclusive because it is for the world. It is for it. Anyone who would believe, anyone who would believe can live. So, whether you're American or you're Asian, there's salvation extended to you. Whether you're rich or you're poor, there's salvation extended to you. Whether you're well educated or under educated, there's salvation for you. It's all there. It's for all of us. All of us. Now, some people will use this passage wrongly and say, Well, look, see right here, it says he takes away the sin of the world. So, I don't have to believe anything. Jesus died for my sins and all my sins are gone because it says right here he died for the sin of the world. Well, if you look just a couple chapters later, John chapter 3, the same man, John the Baptist is speaking. The same man. And this is what he says in verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see The wrath of God remains on him. This is the life. Believe and live. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That you will believe that he is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Yes, but my sin specifically. That I have asked and repented and he has forgiven me of those sins. Then you find eternal life. Not temporal life, not a little bit of health, eternal life. But whoever does not believe and obey the Son, they don't see life. What do they find? They find wrath. The wrath of God remains on them. So believe and find life. Don't find wrath. Don't find wrath. I've prayed for you this week. I'm pleading with you now that if you don't know him if you don't know life that you will believe and live today do you know him do you know our king and if you're here thinking man i see that he's taking away sin but man i've got to obey him and give him my whole life like and that's a lot ryan like you're asking me to give up all of that yeah, because he's worthy. And that's where John goes. He says in verse 30, After me comes the one who ranks before me. Ranks before me, because he was before me. And those of you that know your Bible, you can read, John is actually six months older than Jesus. Six months older, and he's saying, wait a second. This man comes before you and he ranks before you. I thought you were his elder. I thought you were older than him. And he's like, yeah, because he's the creator of the world. He is the son of God. He was here before me and he'll be here after me because he is eternal. That's what he's saying in that moment. And then he uses this imagery that everybody at that time would understood. And we understand a little bit today. But he says, he is so worthy of everything I have. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie his sandal. I'm not worthy of doing that you know that culture at that time, I mean, everybody wore sandals and they walked the streets, and so there's dirt and dust and animals are walking the same streets, and so there's stuff that comes out of animals on the ground that people are walking on and their feet would have looked like this. I mean, they would have been nasty. I mean, there's, there's things underneath those toenails that aren't on our periodic table, right? Like, that's how bad it was. They actually had laws in place that they said no Jewish person can, can undo somebody else's sandal because it's such a dirty, filthy, nasty job. No Jew can do that. And so if you had a, a worker that worked for you, you couldn't say a part of your job description is that you have to take off people's sandals. Like, no, that was too dirty, too nasty of a job to do. They even had a law in place that if you were a rabbi, a teacher, and you had people that were following you, learning from you, you couldn't say, hey, take off my sandals. Because, like, I just don't want to deal with that. No, that was too beneath them. And here's John saying, I am not nastiest menial of tasks for this lamb I'm not worth it my life's not worth it you see Jesus is worthy of all of our lives all of our lives not just the external motions but our hearts, our minds, our finances, our jobs our families, he is worthy of it all and so yes I am pleading, I'm begging come to Christ, find life, believe because he's worth it He's worth it. Look to him and believe. And for those that are believers and already trusted in him and, and are beholding the land that takes away their sin, then be greatly encouraged today. Greatly encouraged. I didn't share this with you earlier, but the Matthew chapter 11, if you go back there, Matthew 11, verse 11. It's interesting, Jesus says that John is the greatest man that has ever walked this earth, Right? No one born a woman is greater than John the Baptist. And then at the end of verse 11, he says, And yet I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, And yet I say to you, The least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. If you're struggling with your identity and your worth, it is not found within you, it is found within Christ. And he says, you want to find greatness, you want to find glory in your life, you want to find something worth living for, then be a part of the kingdom of God. And if you have trust in Christ, be encouraged. Let your weary heart be lifted. God looks at you and sees you as great because of what the Lamb of God has done to take away your sins and to give you righteousness. He's given you the great exchange, His righteousness for your sin. And Jesus says that person who believes and follows is greater than even John the Baptist. And so I I pray that we would be encouraged by that truth, but not just encouraged, that we would share that truth. That we would be just like John, a voice that's crying out in a lost world. That there's life. There's one who is worthy. There's one who gives us purpose. There's one who defines who we are because he created us and holds us together. And so would we be a voice proclaiming, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. know, you know that your, your sins have weighed heavy on your mind and on your heart, then behold the Lamb. If you're struggling with who you are and why you're even here and why you're alive, you're even struggling, sadly, with thinking, is your life even worth it? Would you stop looking to others? Would you stop looking to yourself? And would you behold the lamb and find your hope? Find your life. Would you believe and live today? And so I invite you, if that's you, would you pray right now? Not later, not tonight, although I hope you do pray then. But pray right now that God would save you from your sins. Remove them as far as east is from the west. And know because of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb, took our place on the cross that he will save you none of us are too far gone he died for the sins of the world that is for any who would believe so believe and find life right now for the believer would you allow your identity to rest for allow your peace not to come from within but from him knowing that he loves you and that he is powerful and mighty over you would you rest in him and would you pray that you could be a voice like John proclaiming the Holy Lamb? would you be so bold to pray this year and to have a new year's resolution that you want to, to love and to to share the gospel with at least one person this year, at least one person you're going to faithfully pray for, you're going to faithfully live up, you're going to faithfully love and share the good news and pray that they believe. And if not, you're still going to love them and care for them. Would you pray that? Would you look for that chance to be the voice of all the Lamb? Christ, we know that you are worthy. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. gives us. You're the one that's going to fix all this brokenness. You're the one that gives us strength when we are weary because we look to you. And so, Lord, may we worship you because you are worthy through our song, through our life, through our generosity, through our thoughts. May we worship you for you and you alone are worthy. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand now and let's sing to